We are very, very blessed. I've worked him hard today. He did Sunday school, Sunday morning service, serious men, and now this evening. But we've had a great time with Pastor Day. Let's give him a nice welcome as he comes. Hallelujah. It's my joy and my blessing. Hallelujah to be here and believe God with you. Romans chapter 5, if you have a Bible uh, this evening. I want to say thank you again to Pastor Keith and Carrie and their hospitality and uh, always a joy to come back here and uh, just continue to see what God is doing and new faces. It's a wonderful joy in my life. Uh, There's always going to be a piece of my heart here. And so thank God for that. Romans 5. Uh, I, I just came from Washington, D.C. I was there for about three days, and so I went on a couple tours. And uh, there was a group of college students that were touring a slum in a major U.S. city. And a woman spotted a little girl playing in the dirt, and she asked the guide, why doesn't that mother do something with her and clean her up? And the guide responded and says, ma'am, that girl's mother probably loves her, but she doesn't hate dirt. You hate dirt, but you don't love the child enough to go down there and do anything for her. And until both those qualities, a love for the child and a hate for dirt, are found in the, in the same person, that child will probably remain exactly where she is. And I got good news for you tonight, because both those qualities abide in the God that I serve. He loves children, he loves people, and we would say he hates sin and how it impacts people's lives in life. And so I want to look, and I want to look at a hope for you and I, and that's because of God's love. I want to talk to you about true or the power of love tonight, the power of love. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, for when we were still without strength in due time, the Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I want to talk to you about the power of love tonight for a moment. And let's ponder that for a moment. Let's ponder God's love for a moment. God loves you. That just kind of fell flat. That doesn't resonate the way it really ought to in our hearts and lives. And uh, I think that's for most of us. And so, in light of that, I, I want you to think about some things. I want to ask you a question. What do you think God thinks when he thinks about you. What do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? The Bible says he knows your every thought. 
The Bible says he knows every hair on your head. And for some, he doesn't have to count too long. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. C.S. Lewis countered that and said, But infinitely more important is what we think he thinks about us. This has huge implications. How you think God thinks about you when he thinks about you. It's going to affect your entire relationship with him. It's going to affect how you look at life and how you view other people. What do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? And my question is, what if you're wrong? What if God's not thinking about you the way you think he's thinking about you? Because there's people in life, as they navigate life, they're influenced by this. And, you know, you know, some people, their whole way of looking at God. Some people look at God, he's angry. You know, he's, he's up in heaven like Zeus with thunderbolts. He's just ready to execute judgment. Just, just do other people, we contemplate God, he's, he's the disappointed God. You, you didn't meet his expectations again. <laughs> and you're constantly falling short. And so yeah, that begins to play out in one's relationship. I was pondering this and I thought about that wonderful story about the prodigal son found in Luke chapter 15 that Logan kind of mixed in his play, The Neon Lights. Uh, it's perhaps one of the most profound stories that God, Jesus, is telling people that had lost sight on how God looked at people. And he tells a story about the prodigal who takes his inheritance and goes and does his own thing. And as sin has a pleasurable season, it also has consequences. And he finds himself in the pigsty of life. And he's sitting there and all of a sudden the Bible says he came to himself. And he said, how much better are the hired servants in my father's house than I am? I know what I'll do is I'll go back to my father's house and I say, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but please let me be one of your hired servants. And so he's, he's wasted his inheritance. He's bearing the consequences of sin. And he comes back and the Bible gives us an imagery of God and who he is and says, God the Father has been watching for him. And as he sees his son afar off, the Bible says he literally runs to his son. Now his son is traveling back to him and says, you know what, I know what, when I come back to dad, what I'm going to tell him is, you know, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned in your sight. Please make me as one of the hired servants. And so as he comes back, before I believe he could even get the words out of his mouth, his father embraces him, kisses him, calls for them to kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. Put a new robe on him, put new shoes on him, gave him a ring of authority. And he says, my son that was lost is now found. My son that was dead is now alive. And so he says, it's time to rejoice. Could you imagine? Because he came back with the idea, I'm just going to be a hired servant in my father's house. That's how he thought about his God. Spiritual warfare is in the mind. It's how you think. It's what you think. 
And how you think God thinks about you when he thinks about you has major influences. Can I tell you where we usually get the, how we think God thinks about us? Number one is ourselves. We think God thinks about us how we think about us. It's kind of a tongue twister, isn't it? <laughs> you know, we get up as believers, we get up maybe, and we, we, you know, we have a great day. We get up, we do our devotions, we get our disciplines down, we read a couple chapters in the Bible, we go to work, and you know what? We act like Christians, hallelujah. We don't fight fire with fire. We respond in a kind, loving way to people, and we say, man, hallelujah, had a good day. Then Tuesday comes, you get up, you know, you get up late, you hit the snooze, and you didn't have a good morning, you lost, a, didn't have your coffee, and you know what, you didn't do your devotions, you got to your job, you got an attitude, you perhaps swore at somebody, something happened. We said, man, God doesn't like me. He must not like me right now. Other people think God thinks about them how their friends look at them. You know, in life, from a child, we're brought up to, to be taught certain things, which are good things. You know what? If you do good in life, if you do good as a child, you're rewarded. You'll get a candy bar. If you do bad, you're going to get time out or a rod across the butt. Right? And so we, we do that, and so we think, you know what? God thinks about us. Before long, we, we think he's just a rewarder and a punisher. Then, then there's just how our culture, our culture, we live in a culture that rewards uh, people that do well in life. If you're involved in sales, they have ways to manipulate you, to get you motivated to sell more. They'll put your name on a chart. And you don't want to be at the bottom of a chart because you look like a, a lazy bum. But up here, you know what, if you're, if you're leading, you're, you're doing good. You're doing good. And so all of this is how we think God thinks about us sometimes. And all of these are measured on one thing, and that's behavior. It's how you perform. It's how you behave in the arena of life. They all revolve around what you do. My question is, what if you think about God, how God thinks about you, and how you think he thinks about you is wrong? What if he doesn't take his cues from you? Doesn't take his cues about you from your family, from your friends, from culture, how you were brought up? What if God operates on a totally different system? Listen to Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, we usually begin to function, and we're influenced by this. We think God thinks about us the way family thinks about us, how we perform in life, how we're brought up. These all impact us. And I want to convince you tonight... That's totally wrong. Absolutely wrong. You know what God thinks about you when He thinks about you? He loves you. That's what He thinks. He absolutely loves you. Look at our text. 
You know, some people call this the John 3.16 of Romans. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, means you were helpless, when you could do nothing. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his lone love for us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can I tell you, the love of God is like no other love. He contrasts, he says, you know, there's some people in life, uh, you know, they're heroes in our eyes. They might have taken a risk and they might have done something to save another person's life. I was reading about uh, New Mexico and where I pastor. And on May 21st, 1946, a man named Louis Sloan, he worked at the Alamosis Labs. That's where they were preparing in that year and that time to put an atomic bomb together. And so his job was he worked at the Alamosis Labs, which is about an hour and a half from Albuquerque and, and, and is still there today. A lot of scientists and so on there. And so he's working with uranium. And one day he was working with uranium and he's going to bring these two things together. And when they came together, he was going to take a screwdriver and separate them. And so the uranium is coming together, but he drops the screwdriver, and all of a sudden this mass of uranium comes together, and the whole room turned blue. And so he took his own hands, and he separated the uranium. He could have ducked and saved his life, but he didn't. With his own hands, he separated this uranium, a companion came up to him in the lab and said, looked at him in his face, and he, and Louis Sloan looked at this guy. He said, listen, I'm going to die an excruciating death, painful, but you're going to live. And sure enough, nine days later, Louis Sloan died in a hotel room, excruciating pain from uranium overexposure, but his seven friends that worked in the lab with him lived. They live because he sacrificed his life. And we admire that. That's that's the highest thing we could think of of a human being. It's an expression of love. But I want to tell you, the love of God is even greater than that. It goes to another level. It says in verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love. His own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. While you were doing your sin, while you're screwing around, smoking dope, hating, envying, jealousy, all these things that abide in the human heart because we're a fallen race and a fallen place. He looks at that and he says, while you're still doing that, my default is I loved you. And I have provided a means and a way to have relationship with you. I want to have an intimacy with you. I want to have a relationship with you. That's how much I love you. He's speaking these things while we're still sinners. It's unrivaled. It's unparalleled. It's not found anywhere else. It's the love of God. It's agape love. And I want to declare to you tonight, God loves you regardless of what you have done or what you have done. Good or bad, He loves you. Regardless. 
You say, Pastor, how can you say that? Jesus is the reason I can say that. If you want to know what God was like, all you got to do is look at Jesus. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just look how Jesus, how he worked with people, dealt with people. Look what he did. Because he is God incarnate. He is love incarnate, if you would. And, you know, people who were not like Jesus liked Jesus. Tax collectors. You know, amongst the Jews, these people were ostracized. They couldn't even go to church. They were hated so much by the Jews because they exploited the the Jewish people and they were hired by Romans. Prostitutes. That's it. Tax collectors and prostitutes. He would eat with them. Matthew 9, 10 says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not healthy for those who need a doctor but the sick. But go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come not to call the righteous but sinners. God's love is bigger than anything we could ever comprehend. There's people in Rochester right now, they're committing adultery. God loves them. There's prostitutes giving it out each night for cash. God loves them. There's drug dealers that are going to screw up people's lives. God loves them. There's people in the corporate world cutting corners, ripping off people. God loves them. You know, Jesus had a young man. He was wealthy. Come to him. He's called the rich young ruler. And he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so he says, you know what? Uh, You know what the the word of God says? You you know what I've said about this? You know the scriptures, etc., etc., he says to him. He says, don't commit murder, don't steal, bury. He says, I've done those things since my youth. Then Jesus looks at him. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said, oh, one thing you lack. Go your way and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come up and take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Jesus loves you tonight. He will call sin, sin, and then he will pardon you if you ask him to. And he'll cleanse you and he'll say, go and sin no more. And if you need any proof of God's love, all you have to do is come back to the cross Why we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So I'm talking about the power of love. Let's look for a moment at the provision of God's love. It says in verse 9, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, 
we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The provision of God's love is twofold in this text. One is it protects us, and second of all, it keeps us, the Bible says. God's love protects every believer from what the Bible calls the wrath of God. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. You know, God is a God of love, but He's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring wrath. He would not be a just God if He did not punish evil, folks. He is going to punish evil. And this is what He's like. You know, some, sometimes people got a problem with the wrath of God. How can a loving God punish people? How can a loving God send anybody to hell? Right? You ever hear those arguments? Well, you know, the thing that I, kind of got me one time, I said, you know, it just doesn't seem like the punishment fits the crime. Okay, maybe we are sinners, but... Did, you know, how about just death by annihilation or, you know, just be gone? You know, what's with the hell thing? I mean, eternity is a long time. And we don't have a photo of hell, but we get some pretty rich imagery that there is a hell. It's a place that of eternal separation from God. It's a place of outer darkness. It's a place where people are, are in agony and they have desires and, that are unfulfilled in life. Seems a little barbaric, if you know what I mean. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress truth and unrighteousness. So the Bible says, You and I as believers, we have been saved from the wrath of God. We are protected by, from this. The word wrath in the original language is a Greek word, org, and it means to grow ripe. It's like an anger that builds up very slowly over a long period of time, kind of like how water collects behind a dam. It's stable and it's controlled. In other words, when we talk about God, who's infinitely perfect, his wrath, his anger, if you would, or his judgment when it comes, it's perfect. He, he, he's not like me, you know. Uh, my problem with anger is I have the, I got laser anger. I don't, I don't, I don't just build up. I just, I just a little dig, you know. Just laser somebody, just cut them. That's not God. God's God's patient, kind, loving, long suffering. Slowly, slowly, but at some point in time, he says, enough is enough. If you wonder about love and judgment and wrath, that's what the cross is all about, folks. In the cross, we see the love of God, but we also see the judgment of God. We see the wrath of God being bore. Jesus died for my punishment, not his. 
He died in my place. And my faith in Him means I have now been spared from the wrath of God upon my life. I am not going to get to heaven. I'm not going to be judged by God in the sense of eternal separation from Him simply because I have put my confidence and my faith and my trust in what He has done for me. Romans 2, 4 and 5. Or do you despise the richness of His goodness, the forbearance, the long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your own hardness and your own stubbornness of heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day that of wrath and the revelation of righteousness and the judgment of God. Verse 8, but though for those who are self-seeking and who rejects the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Here Paul is describing... He says, listen, God is long-suffering. People we have witnessed to that won't yield. They want to continue to live in their sin. They want to continue to do what they want to do. They don't want to obey God. They want to stay a rebel to God. They want to trespass. They want to do their own thing. God says, I love you. I care about you. I, I want to save you. But there's going to come a time if they continually push back on God, they're going to pay the consequences. And if you surely don't want to be with Jesus now, why would you want to be with Him in eternity? So the good news is Jesus took my sin, your sin, on the cross. You know, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, I mentioned it this morning. It says, Wait for His Son from heaven, whom He has raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Make no mistake, there's only two camps. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to lose. When we're dealing with life, I've done a number of funerals. It's not, you know, he's in a better place because we want him to be in a better place. No, they're in a better place because they have chosen Jesus Christ. And if not, they're not in a better place. There's no purgatory. There's heaven and hell. little poem I came across. Because God is patient. Listen to me. He's far more patient than I ever understand. He is long-suffering. There are people that I have pastored here in Rochester. I thought they had crossed too many boundaries. I thought they were reprobate. I remember sitting down with a homosexual. Who was saved, not saved, saved, not saved. And I remember one time he came to me and he was talking about Highland Park. And he says, you know what? Uh, I just went out and had a love fix. I said, whoa. I said, I, and I opened the book of Romans. I took him to Romans 1. I said, you're in great danger, sir. I said, you're coming to a place where you're going to be reprobate in your mind. So depraved that God's conviction is not going to be felt by you in any measure whatsoever. And I cast a warning. And I heard that he eventually did die, but I heard he got saved and I rejoiced. But mark it down. The provision of God's love is He has saved us from the wrath of God. This little poem is called The Doomed Demand. There's a time we know not when, a point we know not where, that marks the destiny of men from glory for glory or despair. 
There's a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and God's wrath. You and I all know people that we've witnessed to. Pray for them. Believe God for them. I don't wish the wrath of God on my worst enemy. I want to see people get saved. But don't mistake God's patience for his indifference. He will judge. The other thing he does in this scripture, it says that God keeps. You know, you read the Bible. You know how the Bible describes you and I that are saved? A peculiar treasure. We're the apple of his eye. You know, God says, listen, my, my believers, my people are the apple of my eye. What, what he's talking about is that's the most... Anybody try to touch your eye immediately, you're going to protect. Get the flip out of here. You want to fight? So things that God loves, he's going to protect. Very simple. But it's, it's needed to be understood. God not only saves, but he keeps. If a dying Savior can reconcile us to God, surely a living Savior can keep us. You know, I don't believe that you can slip in and out of your salvation. If I went out and smoked a cigarette, I think I'd still go to heaven. Look at you guys are, what, what, where's he going with this? <laughs> if I went out and had a beer, I don't recommend smoking, I don't recommend drinking. I had a pastor friend, he ain't going through it one time. He went, he said, Jeff, I went out and had two beers. I don't think he was not not saved. Okay. I'll just let that linger a little bit. You know, you, you could have hate in your life for months and you, you say you're saved. In other words, I, I do believe you can forfeit your salvation. I don't believe in eternal security. But, but also, I don't believe that, that, you know, I'm in heaven, I'm out of heaven, I'm in heaven, out of heaven. <laughs> you know, I still have an Adamic nature. Sometimes it gets the better of me, and I think just because it gets the better of me doesn't mean I'm going to hell. And I'm not the one to, to, to judge that. He says, for, verse 10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You and I are reconciled because of what Jesus did upon the cross, but he not only died upon the cross, the Bible says he was buried and he rose again from the dead, and it says that he ascended up on high, and in Hebrews it says he forever makes intercession for you and I. What a God that we serve. He says, man, I need to pray for day to day. He's interceding. He's praying. He's petitioning. He's my advocate. I'm justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
That's not based upon me being perfect. It's being based upon I have faith in what Jesus did for me. And the fruit of that, there'll be fruits to good works. But my life is not based upon my behavior solely. God always finishes what he starts. The Bible says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Paul says in Philippians, He who has begun a good work and you will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. John 17, Father, I pray not that you take them out of this world, but you would keep them from the evil one. Can I tell you, beloved, God not only pardons us, he preserves us. We sing that song, he saves, he keeps, he satisfies. He saves, he keeps, he satisfies. And one of the downsides of you and I, we're, we're considered what we would say Arminius. We're not Calvinists. I'm not a Calvinist. I believe in the sovereignty of God, but they take it to an extreme. As a Arminius, which I believe that we have a free will, we have choices we make in life. I have a choice to believe and trust. Okay, the, the, what happens with Calvinists is they, they relieve themselves of any kind of responsibility. Once saved, always saved. Doesn't matter what you did. You said a little prayer when you're 10, you're good to go. That's a lie. You've got to be converted and saved, and you get converted and saved by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And as you put your faith in Him... Okay, because we do have choices, and our choices can take us the wrong way, but it's an issue of faith, what you believe, what you trust in, what you rely upon, what you depend upon. And he says, you have been justified by his blood. I have a standing that is not dependent upon what I have done. It is because I have the blood of Jesus that washes me from my sin. And he saves and he keeps and he satisfies. Paul says, I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to his trust. Hallelujah. Let's close. Talking about the power of love and the provision. I want to consider the power of God's love God's love experience cannot help but affect your life. This, this, is not, this is more than theory. This is more than doctrine. It produces something in us. The Bible says in verse 5, For the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. When you get saved, something happens. And let me just say a couple things, and we'll bring it to where I'm going here in closing. As Paul says, it's the love of Christ that constrains me. He says, what's, what's causing my life to get focused like a bullet going down a shaft of a gun? I'm focused. I'm constrained. He says, why? Because I've thus judged. If God died for one, then, uh, then all, all were sinners. But also people can get saved. He's talking about witnessing. We're ambassadors for Christ. He says, I'm not doing this because it's a program. I know that God has been merciful to me. And that love of God begins to constrain me. Galatians 2.22, Paul speaks... He's, he's writing to people that are caught up in legalism. He's writing to people that the law has begun to become do, dominant over grace and mercy. 
And he says, you know what? He says, uh, the love of God, that, that Christ who died for me. He says, my life is now hidden Christ because of the love of God. It will affect you. When this drops, when this finds a place in our hearts. It says in our text. He says he saves, he keeps. I love this word in verse 11. And not only that. Not only has he loved us, saved us, protect us. Not only that, he says he's got more. Isn't that good news? <laughs> I get excited about that. But not only that, but we also joy or rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. One of the marks as we close of the power of the love of God is that when you and I come to God and we experience the love of God, it brings an authentic joy. You know, people want to be happy in life. That's why they do stupid things. You know, I've, I've been to a number of places in the world. I've been in incredibly impoverished areas, Philippines, Africa, very places. People that have nothing but are incredibly happy. Did you hear me? They don't have a car and they're happy. They don't own a house and they're happy. We are so materialistic. Those things are not wrong in themselves, but they're not the source of happiness. Entire industries are built to try to feed people happiness. One man said, no man can live without joy. That is why one deprived of spiritual joy goes over to carnal pleasures. See, the Bible says it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. Isaiah says, reach into the well of salvation and draw joy. One man said, you know what? If there's no joy in your Christianity, you're leaking. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So if you don't have joy, you're weak. And when you're weak, you're vulnerable to temptations and the carnal pleasures of life and the things that the world wants to feed you. Say, this is what you need to be happy. First sign of somebody getting saved is they have joy. I went down and prayed a simple prayer. I came up with a big smile on my face. I didn't fully understand it. I didn't grasp it. I knew something happened. Joy. Joy. Psalms 4, 7, Thou hast put gladness in my heart more in the time than their corn, when their corn and their wine increase. So you know these sinners, are, they're doing well in the stock market. They're doing well here. They're buying and selling. He said, but God, you have deposited something in my heart that's greater than that. The Gentiles get saved. And the Bible says they came and saw them in Antioch. And they, had, they were filled with gladness. You know, and reconciliation is the great exchange. We come to God. We repent and believe. He takes our sins, washes us, gives us a right standing with Him. Says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you. And I'm going to give you joy. Wow. How how did that happen? 
simply believing. Let's close because we're talking about the cross. Our whole text is about the cross. Christ dying for us. You know, when he died, there was two other thieves that were with him. He died between two thieves, the Bible says. You read the narrative, both thieves were bad-mouthing him. They are mocking him, ridiculing him. You be the son of God, come down from the cross. He did. And so something happened with one of the thieves. I personally believe it was when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They're just going, this, this is beyond reason here. This, this, is a, this guy's being crucified, and he's forgiving those people that are crucifying him. And so the one thief turns to him and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus turned to him and he said, this day you will be with me in paradise. And they died. Could you imagine that guy? All of a sudden, he dies on the cross next to Jesus, and all of a sudden, he's he's at the gates. And Peter's at the gate. He says, why should I let you in here? Well, by what merit are you going to get in here? Were you baptized? Were you, you, did you do? He said, well, why should I even let you in there? And you know what the thief is going to say? Because the guy on the middle cross said I could. He didn't say a sinner's prayer. He didn't sign a card. He simply turned to him and said, be merciful, remember me. Boom. That's the love of God, folks. That's the power of love. He'll take a thief that deserved to die on a cross with the last pleading breath. Remember me. I will. What a loving God. Takes him to heaven despite all that he's done. Because God loves you tonight. Let's bow our heads. Hallelujah. The man on the middle cross said I could come. He's the answer tonight. If you're here tonight, you're not saved. You've heard the gospel. Jesus died for you. What are you going to do with that? It's more than a fact of history. It's that, but it's so much more. He's risen from the dead and He changes lives. If you're here tonight, you're a sinner, you're lost. You're on your way to a devil's hell. God loves you. He wants to be merciful to you. He wants you to turn to Him and He will forgive you of your sins and make you a new person. And you'd say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus tonight. You need this. You need to experience this. You don't need, you're you're hearing it. I'm telling you it's something that can be experienced. And when it is, it brings an authentic joy. Being right with God, there's nothing like it in the planet Earth. And it happens because you're reconciled. You're justified. You're made right before God because He loves you and He has made provision for your sin and He'll change your life. And you say, Pastor Sullivan, Brother Day, I want to give my life to Jesus tonight. If that's you, you want to receive His love. You lift your hand quickly now. Do not hear a message. If you're not right with God, 
If you if you just come to church, I'm talking about being born again, the miracle of God's love. Let the love of God be shed abroad in your heart. Let the miracle of salvation happen in your life. Come to Him just as you are and watch what He does with your life. But you got to take a step. You have a choice. You have a choice to believe and trust. And you say, I want to do that. If you want to do that, just say, I want to believe. Remember me, Lord. If that's you tonight, would you raise your hand? You're not saved, backslidden, anybody at all. You need a miracle. You need a miracle called salvation. And say, Pastor, that's me. Raise your hand. Stop playing games. God, answer what God's, God's dealing with your heart. You, you respond to that. And let Him do a miracle on your behalf. He loves you tonight. And that love wants to come inside of your heart and change you and forgive you and make things new. You say, that's for me tonight. I know I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. You'd lift your hand. Anybody at all. Quickly. Amen. I want to change the appeal then. I want to speak to God's people. The power of love. This, this love that I'm talking about is not this greasy grace. It's the most powerful thing in the world is love. And I want to tell you, it's something that needs to live in us. We need to be filled with gratitude and we need to model it. And say, God, help me to be a a lover of you and a lover of people. Regardless of how they are, how they act, they all have... The image of God, it's been marred by sin, but they still have dignity in the eyes of God. And people need to be treated right in life and presented the gospel. Let them make their decisions. Some of you are making a decision tonight. But I'm speaking to the church now. God loves you. It's not based upon what other people think. His default, what he thinks about you, is just like a child that can do nothing for their parents, sometimes not always doing everything right, that parent still loves that child. He doesn't affirm your sin. Your sin will have consequences. And if it goes unrepentant, it it could cause an ultimate separation. But I do want you to understand, there's a love that goes beyond our understanding. And I'm asking you to step a little deeper into that. Let that work in your life tonight. Let's stand. These altars are open. You let God help us tonight.
every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. And this is my God, touch people at this altar with your love. Let it be real. Let it awaken. Let it be experienced. God, I believe you tonight. Let the love of the Father, God, let it be shed abroad in hearts. Help us. All I have within me I give you I give you my soul. Every moment I'm awake. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Let's stand and give Him praise tonight. Father, we thank You. Thank You, Lord.